Welcome, 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 welcome. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, my first crossing. I know that a lot of people have on their bucket list to do crossings. Um, I, I used to cross every year um, from the Caribbean, from either uh, Antigua or St. Martin or uh, St. Thomas. And I would cross the Atlantic going into uh, the Mediterranean and all the way across the Mediterranean to um, beautiful Greece and Turkey and, and then do a season of chartering and then come back. And one of the things that I always did was I um, contacted this adventure um, tourism place, which ironically was here in uh, Los Angeles. And I know the guys really well now. Um, and they used to place uh, people that had sort of that uh, bucket list dream of uh, wanting to do a crossing. And, you know, most of them were like, you know, just regular sailors, club sailors, men just like yourself, just hanging out, going like, yeah, I'd love to do a crossing. And, you know, they could hop on the boat. I was charging like 2500 bucks. Um, they do crew, they're the crew, they don't get any special privileges. Um, you know, they sleep in the bunks where the crew sleeps, uh, they stand watch, they contribute, they just, they just work as crew because otherwise it would just be, you know, along for the ride and doing absolutely nothing. So over 18 round trip charters, uh, or crossings, um, I had, um, 36 different people or groups of people. I had some husband and wife combinations, single guys, um, you know, just, just a variety of people didn't, you know, old and young. Um, I had one guy who was, he was every bit 80 something and, uh, boy, his name was Joe and he, he just, he was gun ho and he was really cool to have on board and and um you know it was a lot of fun and, and these are just you know one of the many things you do so the cool thing is is that if you're going to do a crossing with your own boat you know there's that whole preparation thing and getting ready the sort of anticipation the fear, or is this going to work, right weather picture, you know, everything goes in. After you do it a bunch of times, um, that stuff exists, but basically all you want to do is get the boat going in the right direction, um, get your sails set, um, calm, uh, n nothing too extreme, um, uh, side on the... Uh, on the safety side, you, you're not out there racing, club racing, so, you know, you don't want to have your mast come down around your ears when you're like a day out from from the coast. So it takes, a, it's a little bit different kind of ocean sailing. It's ocean sailing. And I, I personally love ocean sailing. I love being out there just days on end. It's just, to me, is the most fantastic 
It's the most fantastic thing I could think of ever doing. But I wanted to talk about my first crossing. And my first crossing I did when I was 17. And let me explain. You know, at that age, everything is turbulent. And I would describe my teen years as exactly that, turbulent. And having grown up, um, you know, I graduated high school in uh, 1970. And I started down a path, you know, going to college and all that uncertainty and that trepidation of leaving home and trying to figure out what I was going to do. Like, you know, whatever I decided was going to be etched in stone, I was going to do that for the rest of my life. But we all know that's kind of not what happens and you still end up doing different things. And it was a very anxious time. It was a very fun time. Um, and I have, uh, to really sort of give a context to this story of the crossing, because I think in everyone's crossing, it's just not a matter of just climbing on the boat. There's the whole, um, psychological and sociological things that are going on in your life that make the crossing, um, important and, and have a sense of revelation, so to speak. Um, at my age, I am 68 right now, um, and there are a few people that probably remember there was this thing called the draft. Now, if you were a teenager and you were in high school, you not only had to worry about getting good grades or not getting good grades, you had to worry about being drafted. And the draft was like Damocles' sword hanging over your head for everybody who was 18 years old. And at the time, Nixon had dropped all the draft deferments because everybody had gone, made a big brouhaha saying, look, you know, the only people getting draft deferments are white, rich kids going to college. And that the Army, the Marines, were all filled with poor white and black kids. And that, that it was unjust because you have no choice when you're drafted. Well, you do have a choice, and that's kind of what the story is about. And so at 18, I faced like the most important decision of my life. Did I love my country enough to die for it? You know, the counterculture was just roaring along. Four dead in Ohio had just happened. I was in Ohio. I was in Bay Village, Ohio. So, like, we knew people that were at, at Kent State. We, you know, it was like happened in our backyard. I knew at least five guys who had gone to Vietnam, and two of them were killed. Both of them excellent musicians, I might add. They had no choice. And most of my friends were in a band. Um, I'm not musical in any way, but I love music. And I'm married to a great musician. And I mean, great Paulette McWilliams. I added a link, I'll add a link to her album, A Woman's Story, at the, um, on the site. So, as a bunch of quote unquote hippie kids driving around in a pink 1967 Mustang, um, smoking dope, doing LSD, we talked about the draft. We talked about going to Canada. 
we could just cross Lake Erie from Bay Village and go to Canada, and that would be cool. And all my buddies um, hadn't gotten their draft number yet. I hadn't gotten my draft number yet. I was at this point 17, maybe. Um, and all my friends uh, got kind of closer to me uh, because I had a sailboat. And the sailboat was the ticket. That was the ticket to just hop on, go to Canada, no problem. Except I couldn't get any of these guys to go sailing with me very often. They would go out and they'd be going like, mm, you know, it's kind of slow, I get seasick, when are we going to get back in, can we go any faster? You know, the same old uh, non-sailing sailboat garbage that you get from people. So most of these guys, they they were just interested in driving around, smoking weed and reciting Fire Sign Theater. I don't know if any of you people know Fire Sign Theater, but uh, it's a comedy group out of San Francisco. And um, we used to recite the entire the entire albums. Um, once I recited Don't Crush Your Dwarf, Hand Me the Pliers, and We're All Bozos on This Bus from start to finish, including sound effects. Ah, the joys of wasted youth. Thirsty, that's me. Try a little bit of Filipino creamy. Comes in shorts and courts and tubs of slaw. Sorry, no delectors in Sagar. Restricted delivery after 1,200 hours. Damn, it's late, the announcer says. It's never too late for a shoe shine and a clean windshield. I could go on. But that's not really kind of what sailing is about. And at this point, my life was absurd in that sense. You know, putting into context, you know, every night on the nightly news, there, there was Vietnam, there were protests in the streets, there were civil rights marches, which I might add deeply affected me since growing up in Philadelphia, my mom was an activist in civil rights and, and politics and and moving from Philly to this bucolic little white community on the cliffs of Lake Erie, where the only thing that happened was the famous uh, neurosurgeon Sam Shepard was accused and convicted wrongly of killing his uh, uh, his wife, and uh, Doctor Sam Shepard murders were murder was uh, considered you know that was like the big news of the age. Um, it spawned a TV series and it spawned a movie with Harrison Ford um, that a lot of you would know, which is a good movie called The Fugitive. And that insanity happened only a few doors down from my new home. So just to reinforce my story here, Bay Village, although idyllic, um, beautiful, foreshadowed the doom, um, the doom in me that at nearly every turn. I, I mean... It's beautiful and everything, but there was always this sort of dark cloud hanging over it. And part of the foreshadowing of that is we moved on the 4th of July from Philly to Bay Village in a storm um, that hit the coast of Bay Village and Rocky River and that whole part of west side of Cleveland um, with a tornado. It destroyed the west side many parts of Cleveland. Um, there were many boats were lost because everybody was out on the lake uh, when this storm came up, and it came up uh, fast and furious. Uh, 
trees were felled, um, a lot of uh, life was lost. Um, and all the while, we're pulling into our new house with a moving truck and me driving my mom's 1958 Chevy Bel Air towing Steppenwolf, my Hershoff designed 26-foot sloop in a trailer or on a trailer. Surreal to say at least, um, we drove through the storm. And in fact, I actually stopped under a highway bridge because the hail that came with the storm um, was just, it was so hard. I thought it was going to crack the windshield. And I was very worried about the boat itself. Um, because, you know, she's got a full keel to her and um, she sits high in a trailer. And and there's a lot of windage. So, you know, even when trucks passed, we would move back and forth. So it was a little bit crazy. And, you know, it was a 58 Chevy Bel Air cruising along. No seat belts. Go for it. So all this turmoil kind of played in my head like a, like a marching band and a rock and roll band all at once. So these are the things that, to put it into context where I was and, and, and how I was. And so we made it through the first winter and I was really excited to get my boat in the water. I couldn't do it before because I was playing football and school and a new school and, you know, but then when spring arrived in Cleveland, which is always an exciting affair, um, I was really ready to splash the boat. So it had been sitting in our driveway, and I worked on the boat in our driveway. And I should note that at this point, my father was never, a, he was not a sailor. He, he didn't get in boats. Um, he was interested in flying. Um, that was his thing. And my mom liked sailing because it was her father who taught me and taught her, um, my grandfather. And he had been, he's always been a mentor and a guiding light to me. And I've mentioned him before in other podcasts. But my mom always found a little money, you know, for me for a can of varnish or a brush. And I could use her car to go here. And I did errands. And, you know, everything I, everything I made, I sort of put into the boat. Because I really love this boat. Um, and if all of these events are playing in my head, um, I could just go and work on the boat and, and I would be calm and I would be focused and I'd have a great sense of peace. And, and this was, this was my purpose. You know, this was my thing. And even my friends would come by and say, Hey, let's go here. Let's go here, which I would always go. But you know, at the end of the day, um, I really liked it was like my own little room, too, when you go into the cabin, a um, little separate place. So anyway, uh, I'm working on the boat, um, getting ready for the first taste of fresh water um, because she was in an Atlantic Coast boat. And you should understand at this time, I had raced International 14s. Um, I had raced uh, essentially all over the world. And... Um, I had Steppenwolf from the time I was 15, so I'd already owned her for about two, three years. And I had sailed, longest sail I did was um, from Egg Harbor in New Jersey up to Bar Harbor in Maine, and then I turned around and came back. 
But I always longed to go sailing, you know, like just go into the ocean and go to Bermuda. And, you know, it always seemed like, yeah, Bermuda is really close and it's a different island and it's, it's a lot of stuff, you know, it's like a lot of stuff. And it was like my, my exciting goal. So my dad, uh, bless his soul, took me down to the Cleveland Yachting Club on Rocky River. And um, it's kind of, a, at the time, it was kind of a weird place because a lot of the rivers, the Cuyahoga and, and other rivers, a lot of industry, a lot of pollution, and the, the rivers were really ugly. Um, and the lake was in the process of healing, but it was also kind of ugly. And um, it wasn't anything like the freshness of salt water and all the rest. This was, this was fresh water. So I couldn't get anybody, you know, my age to come sailing with me. And down at the Yacht Club, it was just a bunch of old guys like me today. Um, and, and so if I wanted to go out sailing, you know, my mom insisted that if I was going to go out sailing and if I was going to go out, you know, any f it, far, as she would put it, um, that I should have somebody with me. And um, because she was still a little freaked out by the fact that I sailed to uh, Bar Harbor and, and back without me telling her. Um, she was completely freaked out by that. Um, so I, I ended up taking this, this guy with me who, who smelled of liquor, um, who insisted that he knew how to sail the boat. It was like one of the worst people could ever have on a boat. And he actually broke my boom vang, and, um, which is really hard to do because it was just block and tackle. And it, it was like it was like the worst day of my life. You know, I, I know what I'm doing. I've done this. I've sailed the lake all my life. I've done this. I've done that. I've done this, and I've done that. You know, totally discounting this, uh, you know, fresh, uh, pimply 17-year-old who, you know, has, has raced and sailed and been big on big ships and, you know, had done a lot of different things. So one day, getting to the story of the crossing itself, I was walking around Macy's. Actually, I was looking for an exit. Um, my mom had given me her Macy's card and sent me um, to go shopping for underwear. And I stumbled upon this angelic form. And her name was Sue Ford. She was modeling. They had these little in-store modeling things, okay, where the girls come out on a little platform and they stand there and there's a song that they stand there in a kind of a freeze pose and then the song ends and then they go back in, change clothes, and the other girl comes out. This girl was so beautiful, she was like totally unapproachable. Um, she was a year older than me. And I, I knew her, um, I knew of her um, in my new school. And she was a celebrity of sorts. Um, she had modeled in New, York, um, in New York. Her parents were very rich. I mean, like, real estate, super rich, before there was super rich. She was absolutely beautiful, strawberry blonde hair, green eyes, very sweet, 
um, very smart. And she was standing on this small stage doing poses. And she was like frozen, you know. And I took advantage. And she couldn't speak. I guess they said, you can't speak to the, to the shoppers. You have to just stand there like a model, quiet. So I asked her a whole series of questions, and for which she couldn't answer. But I could see in her eyes, they flickered, and her lips twitched a little with a suppressed smile. And at this point, I just have to say, you know, I grew up in Philly, and um, we don't do shy in Philly. You know, we, we go right for what we go for. Um, yeah, there's no shy in Philly. So she was perfectly still, and I introduced myself, and I said, oh, we, went, we go to the same school, we go to Bay High School, and then I blurted it out, I have a sailboat, it's a beautiful boat, I want to sail to Canada, but I need a mate, would you like to come? Just like out of, really out of left field. And I can see the thought process running through her mind, and her Beautiful green eyes seemed to bubble with a kind of joy. But she couldn't say anything. And then at last the music stopped. And I hadn't actually understood the process. And I I had not heard the music. I was just so enthralled with seeing her. And these modeling poses. And they only last for the length of the song. And then she just turned around and left. She walked off the stage. And another model appeared. So I was left standing there like a fool, holding a bag of Fruit of, loom, fruit of the Loom uh, Tidy Whites. And I, I turned and started to leave when I heard a whistle, like, like a serious sailor whistle. Sue came out from behind the temporary wall where they dressed, carrying a bag. And I go, oh, that's fast. She was completely changed. She was ready to go home in street clothes. And she put her hand out and she said to me, hi. I'm Sue Ford. Tell me about your sailboat. And we walked out of Macy's together. I was talking a mile a minute about sailing, and I walked her to her brand new 1970 Thunderbird, and she invited me to dinner over at her house. And it turned out um, her house was only like a 500-yard walk from my house. We had both, um, both our houses were on River Road, Many of you will know this uh, from that area because I have a number of people who listen in that area. And, and, and both our parents, we had homes that overlooked the lake, and it was a kind of heaven. And I, I met her parents, and they were really nice to me. And, and Mr. Ford, her father, um, asked me plenty of questions. And he was a very statuesque, silver-haired man. She, they, they had... Um, I guess they had Sue a little late in the in their in their life, um, because they had a a son who was fully grown, and um, uh, they were they they were much much older than say my parents were, and um, I talked about uh, about about doing this little crossing that it was just something I was thinking about, and you know I need a mate, no can't go by myself kind of thing. And and he had owned several yachts, and he loved sailing. And in fact, they did own a uh, powerboat, a yacht, something like 60, 80 feet um, down in um, Palm Beach. Um, they were that kind of rich. And at the time, that's a big yacht. 60 feet was a big yacht. 
Um, so he asked me lots of questions about sailing and what I knew and my background. And, you know, I, I got the idea these people were not fools. And they trusted their daughter implicitly. So the next weekend, uh, Mr. Ford, Sue, and I drove down to my boat. And it turns out he was a member of the Cleveland Yachting Club and much admired by everybody. And um, we got on the boat, and he sat in the cockpit and just said, yep, go ahead, I'm just a passenger. And Sue went up to the main, and she was ready to hoist the main. She hoisted the main, and, you know, we set the Genoa, and, you know, we had this beautiful spring sail. The sun was warm. The breeze was cool because the water was still cold. And we threw up a nice bow wave. We got a little bit wet, but it was a nice, beautiful, beautiful sail. And Mr. Ford turned to me as we were coming into the dock, and she's, he said, she's a weatherly and stiff boat, fast as well. And he was like very, you know, the boat was the thing. That was good. And he says, you handle her very well. And he was very impressed. And he gave us his blessing for us to cross to Canada. And crossing from the Cleveland Yacht Club, Rocky River right there, to Canada was my first true crossing. Sue was elated. And and she and I became best friends. Um, her world was new and was fascinating to me. Um, you know, I came from a middle-class home and and, you know, with a home-built sailboat that was weatherly and stiff, fast as well. And, and, and she was this sort of glamorous human being that, in fact, wasn't glamorous at all. She was just, she loved sailing. Um, and she just, she was like, you know, crazy for the whole idea of doing this. And I was, I just found like the best mate and the best friend. But Mr. Ford offered me a little advice. He told me to read Aeschylus' uh, Prometheus Bound. And he put in there, he says, look, the maxim of, maxim of this book is to know thyself. And to know thyself is a really important aspect of when you're going to do a crossing, especially if you're going to be in the ocean, you know, by yourself or with a crew for 20, 30 days. Um, it's really, really important that you maintain um, this sense of knowing yourself. So Sue and I read the play as we sailed um, to Shrewsbury, Canada in um, Rondeau Bay. Um, it's sort of directly across. It's about, I guess as a crow flies, it's probably 30, 40 miles, something like that, maybe 50 miles or so. And the wind um, set west by northwest. Um, you know, there was, I, I had a radio, I had a VHF radio. That's the only electronics I had. Um, the wind uh, speed was about 15, 15 knots. There were little white caps occasionally popping up. No swell like you would find in the ocean at this time. It was pretty cool. Temperature was around 70 degrees. We were dressed and bundled, so to speak, and um, we just sat in a cockpit next to each other with all the sails 
out and full and um, tiller in my hand and and um, tiller in her hand. We took you know we took turns and and you know we went downstairs and we you know made stuff to drink and food and you know we had some really beautiful. It was just beautiful, and um, it was just what sailing is all about. And just we weren't in a hurry. It's it's not that far. I mean. The boat does uh, a decent five knots in that wind. So, you know, it's a 10-hour trip. We left very early in the morning. And we, uh, we, we scooted across to Canada. And when we ended up uh, in Shrewsbury, which is a, actually quite a beautiful little place, um, you know, we, we put the boat on the fuel dock, um, which they were, you know, happily let us do. Um, and we went for dinner. Um, we came back. We we slept because the you know the there's just a, a little. Um, uh, we were teenagers, so you know, we slept sort of. Anyway, um, we felt like grown ups. And um, well, anyway, we we turned around and got the boat going, and we sailed back under pretty much the same conditions. And it was very uneventful sailing, which most crossings, if you're a good captain, will find that you choose the the right weather picture. When people get in trouble, it's because they're too much of a hurry. They don't have the patience or the time to wait for the right um, uh, weather picture. And they, they want to go, they want to go. Um, sometimes you'll get caught. I've been caught, okay? I've been caught with... In the middle of the ocean, in the middle of the Pacific, I was caught once, um, where it, suddenly a um, massive low pressure came up, and there was nothing I could, there's no way I could escape it. I just had to stay on my course, and it just overtook us, and it was pretty rough. But it'll pass, so stay with the boat and let it pass. That's what you do. And... Um, so anyway, moving, moving on, we coming back into uh, Rocky River to the Yacht Club, and um, we're like really doing well. Um, both of us are exceedingly happy, um, and Mr. Ford was there waiting to take our lines. He took our lines, and she hopped off the boat and hugged her daddy, and you know I felt very proud, and I thought, man, this is like the best person in the world. This is like you know. She knows how to sail and loves to sail, and she could do the boat on her own, and it, everything was very cool. So we we went out sailing for a couple of, a couple of more times, um, but she became very busy um, with her modeling career, and um, before we knew it, uh, the school year ended, and Sue and I kind of drifted apart um she was going to college in europe to to also do her modeling career and i still had one more year of high school so that summer taking to heart mr ford's advice i got a job uh working on the ore boats in the great lakes now some of you have seen it there's a couple of um, guys that do uh tiktoks um you know freshwater sailors um, thousand foot ore boats, so to speak. And, um, they, they, they're a lot of fun. And I spent a summer, I spent two summers, uh, working on these boats. 
And, um, I mean, I was just, it was just like super joy. I made a lot of money and it was really good work. Um, and I learned a lot about industri- industrial size sailing, so to speak. And, and, and she went off to Europe and I had a very little hard time kind of getting to my boat because, you know, I was very, very busy and I was also sort of struggling with the, you know, the girl thing. You know, when you're a teenager, you struggle with that kind of stuff. But I was sure of one thing, that there was, there would be no one like Sue. And honestly, it would take me another, it would take me a lifetime to find somebody like her. So I understood that sailing was and would be the pillar of my being. So I kind of went down this tube, dark hole, so to speak, of not knowing where my place was. You know, being in high school, we played football, had friends, you know, everybody was out doing their thing and running around. And, you know, slowly things started to change. And everybody was really worried about the draft. But a little bit less so because the draft wasn't taking... You know, I think in the draft I was in, they they took up to like 74 and that was the only number. But as it turned out, um, my number was 14. And on the same day that I got my draft notice, because you can listen to, you listen to the lottery first, found out what your number was. It was on the radio. And it was like, okay, you're number 14. And, you know, it was November 29. I'm November 30th is my birthday. And November 29th was like 365, and December 1st was like 362, and November 30th was 14. So the lotto got me, and I ended up getting my draft notice the very, very same day that I got my college acceptance. So I never went back to Canada. I decided that to serve my time and do my duty, which is, of course, a huge uh, story and an important um, aspect of my experience. And it cleared me. I understood where I was. I understood who I was. And, and that crossing with Sue, with Mr. Ford's advice about knowing the, myself, um, helped me understand how to deal with what I experienced when I went to Vietnam. But the darkness and, and, and the chaos that was, for me, um, Bay Village continued um, in a different way. Um, I lost a family member, which is a completely different story for a completely different podcast. And um, that was, you know, the doom. Kind of, we knew the doom. So I I sold uh, Steppenwolf. Actually, my mom handled the sale as I was still in Vietnam. And um, the excuse was, oh, you probably won't want to sail this boat when you come back. And it's not doing any good sitting here in the driveway. And it needs, you know, tender, loving care and blah, 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 blah. And my mom and dad need it, as they said. We need the driveway space. Getting tired of seeing that thing in the driveway. But that's a big part of myself 
that they sold. But I've never lost that sense of knowing myself. And um, I've always been um, self-possessed in that regard, regardless of what the circumstances are around me. But that's my first actual crossing across Lake Erie. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, If you'd like to listen to some more uh, podcasts, um, please uh, go to our website. It's offshoreexplore.org. I will put the link into it. I'll also link in uh, Firesign Theater, which I think if some of you listen to that, you'll get a big chuckle. It's absurdist humor. Um, that it's, it takes a certain kind of acquired taste, but it's, I think it's hilarious. Um, also, um, I want to do a shout out to all those, uh, freshwater sailors up in the Great Lakes. Um, it is a beast of a place to sail. Um, it can, at times it can be perfectly calm and no wind whatsoever. And then other times it'd be blowing gale force. Um, it's got everything you could possibly want to condition yourself. Um, and it's got the added pleasure of having more shore than you could possibly deal with. So anyway, that's, that's the Great Lakes. That was Lake Erie. That was my crossing. Um, please, uh, please like and, and share, 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 share. We want to reach, uh, more people. And um, thank you very much, and thank you for, uh, for listening. We'll see you next week.